1: Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Welcome to the New Books Network. London,
0: 1997. I live in the present these days. I type. Million girls in dingy London offices are typing. Our nails clack on the keys. Data flows through our fingers. Waterfalls of numbers pour down the screen, disappear into files, memos, spreadsheets. Click, click, send. They come, they go. Every day is the same. This is GP Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Christine Evans about her new novel, Nadia. Set in 1997 London, we meet Nadia, a young Bosnian refugee who's lost everyone she's loved and has snuck into England on a fake passport. She works in a small office as a temp, and it's not clear what they do, but Nadia senses that something's under the radar. She also senses danger when a new temp shows up. She can tell he's from her country, even though he says he's Armenian. She suspects he's Serbian, the kind that hated Bosnians maybe the kind who hunted them down wherever they were. Nadia sees danger everywhere. Hi, Christine. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. It's a great pleasure to be here, Khalid. So how did you come to write this particular story? Oh, well, so Nadia started off, as a a
3: kind of a ghost from another thing I was writing. So the title of the novel is also the name of the main character. And um, I'm a playwright as well as a novelist. And I had this strange little ghost secretary character in one of my plays that was about something completely different. But she was kind of haunting the office of, um, of a therapy room in my play, You Are Dead, You Are Here. And she didn't really have enough to do, but she came from this agency called Temp Angels and their uh, slogan was short-term solutions when you need them most. And it got me wondering about temps and about the whole situation of someone who's in and out of jobs in a way and the kind of secretive nature of that potentially or the possibility of not really being seen, but being able to see other people. Mm -hmm. So I just got very fascinated by this character. Nadia in the play and she didn't really have enough to do in the play. And then I just started noodling around in her voice and imagining her sitting in her office. And then slowly she kind of developed it into a full character of her own. And um, and the con- so the context, which is the 1990s aftermath of the Bosnian Wars, uh, came later. The character came first, this sort of very wound up, anxious young woman and so she, the context came because I just kept asking questions like, why is she here and what is she trying to hide and what is wow. she afraid of?
0: Yeah, that's uh,
3: Yeah, uh, but it does happen that I have a long history with the former Yugoslavia. So I think, mm-hmm. in a way, your life and the things that you come from start to feed into your imagination too.
0: We'll get. Let's get to that. The novel goes back and forth between 1997 London and five or six years before. Is it in Sarajevo? Yes. Um, Can you set the stage for those who don't remember the horror and devastation of the Balkan Wars?
3: Yes. Well, I'm not a historian so I'll give that caveat. But the broad outlines are that Yugoslavia used to be this united country that was welded together under General Tito and it was a communist country, but it was kind of a soft communist country. They they talked about themselves as being the third way. So somehow Yugoslavia, which is very much wedged in between East and West, saw itself as a kind of place that hadn't entirely gone over to the Soviet bloc and that hadn't entirely gone with the Western powers, but had a sort of independent communist life, um, which uh, then started to really violently fall apart in the 1990s when um, Slobodan Milosevic, who was president of Serbia at the time, um, really kind of whipped up old narratives of nationalism and um, started a series of wars that tore the country apart into its smaller component areas. Um, and there's a long history there, and the narrative was very much, Serbia has been persecuted and we will never be persecuted again. And so there were sort of nationalist wars that called on populist sentiment and historical grievance, and mm-hmm. eventually the whole country fell apart. The first war was with Slovenia, but then became an independent country because they won their war. Um, but the rest turned into this sort of shattering ethnocidal war In Europe, in the very late
0: 20th century. And then we get to Nadia. Yes. She first meets Iggy in this temp agency. Mm -hmm. She wonders if he was part of the fighting, even part of the... And she even brings up the paramilitaries. They're the worst, she says. Yes. And you're saying a little about that. Yes. So Nadia herself
3: comes from the city of Sarajevo, uh, which was under siege for the longest period since the siege of Leningrad um so you know and it was a very cosmopolitan multicultural city so really multiculturalism was one of the dreams that was really under attack and there were it's a city that's a small small city that's surrounded by mountains which is Great for being a beautiful place, but terrible when you're in a war because there was really no way or out. It was kind of a trap. And there were there was the official Yugoslav army, but there were also a lot of paramilitaries who were just completely gloves off marauding, you know, very um very dangerous people. Um and yeah, so yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. There's something dinging. I'll just That's okay.
0: Nadia yeah. doesn't really have anyone except for her office mates and the happy cafe with Mrs. Kay and her, the rest of the family that own the cafe and they kind of turn into a little bit of a family for her. Can you say more about them? And I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? I'm asking you about the Happy Cafe. Oh, the Happy Cafe, yes. just so I... say a little bit about the, the people that kind of took take Nadia? In. Yes, yes. So
3: um, so because Nadia is seeking asylum in London, she has to kind of report where she lives, and she doesn't have a lot of money. And she finds a haven renting in an Indian-majority neighbourhood in London, and... Um, and Mrs. K, who runs the Happy Cafe, kind of takes her under her wing. She can see that she's this sort of lost little bird, <laughs> um, and uh, and the Happy Cafe is um, it sells phone cards and rents videos and does laundry at the back and serves food. It's kind of like a one-stop everything shop in this little enclave of the neighborhood. Um, and so Nadia's kind of a customer, but slowly she becomes a friend. Um, yeah,
0: it's a lovely, and- lovely part of the story. Really a, a good little um, recess from the tension in the office. Oh, thank Na- you. Nadia starts to feel really uncomfortable when Iggy comes. That's what, right. What exactly is going on in the shady office? What's the business? Yeah. What are they doing? So well we well
3: the sort of the the kind of comic premise, I guess, of the book, which has its grim side but it also has its funny side is that Nadia is so checked out that she doesn't even ever bother to find out what the office does. She's just like, this is the perfect job because all they have to do is put in numbers and go home and have a nice, peaceful life. And then, as you say, one day Iggy turns up and she recognises his accent and he comes from the same temp agency that sent him to the same office, Um, and she knows he's lying about where he comes from. So she feels as though her own little private English bubble has been disrupted by someone who might have been up in the mountains shooting at her and her people, but she doesn't know. Um, And then as the book unfolds, we slowly find out that the the office that does almost nothing is just a sort of cover business for illegal imports and for moving shady stuff through without any red
0: tape. Yeah, it's really interesting. Nadia, asked, she recalls how nobody cared if you were Serbian or Bosnian in Sarajevo, and then suddenly they did care. It's right. She says something about how when the paramilitaries took a suburb of Sarajevo, she asked if her friend Sanja couldn't yes. stay with the family. And her father said yes. She passes yes. that by saying he was terrible at talking. Right, right. So all he said was yes. Yes. Um, I would like to know, had the hate been simmering? Or was it really that sudden that suddenly Bosnians and Serbians were enemies? Well, it's a very
3: complicated situation. So... I think I would say that there were long historical grievances that some people clung to but that a lot of the younger generation at the time just had no interest in anymore. Um, And when we say Bosnian, it's also more complicated because there's Bosnia, the physical land maps, but that had people who were ethnically and culturally Bosnian Muslims and Bosnian Serbs living there, right? So. Uh So the wedges that were driven between people were based on ethnicity slash religion. Um, But, you know, Sarajevo was a famously multicultural country, and I think part of the bizarreness and the utter horror of the wars in the former Yugoslavia is that the country was thoroughly intermarried and intermixed, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. I think you you share that in the book, and it's a really interesting side story. Yes. Um, Nadja? had loved Sanja and she sees yes. her now in England and every tall blonde woman. Right. Lovers. They were lovers when she disappeared. Nadia somehow got her camera. What happened there? Oh yeah. So
3: so things really went south in the backstory of Nadia and Sonia, which only unfolds bit by bit in sort of memory flashes because we're we're sort of anchored mostly in the present day of the office in London. And then the book kind of unravels into memory and history. And in those sequences, we discover that Nadia and Sonia are living together in Nadia's house because Sonia had to leave her suburb. And then Nadia's father dies. So it's just the two of them left. And the siege is getting really intense. And they're running out of food and they're running out of water. And Sonia is very fashionable and she's a photographer and she's always taking photos of things. Um but then she disappears as well and Nadia is left just by herself, like really starving in this um in this house. And then in the end she has to make this terrible bargain to get herself out of the country and, and mm. you know, then she has terrible survivor guilt, of course, for yes, everything exactly. she's leaving behind. But she has to do it really fast and she just grabs a few
0: precious things and uh, one of them is Sonya's it. camera. So does Nadja accept her identity as queer, or is that another thing she's trying to hide about herself? I think it's something that's really evolving for
3: her because the framework for her relationship in with Sonia in the former Yugoslavia, in you know, in Sarajevo, was really different. You know, they were definitely closeted, but they probably wouldn't have even really thought about it that way. It would be more like, well, you know. We're lovers, but no one really cares if it's girls and um and in Nadia's mind she has a very stereotyped idea of what real homosexuals are, which is, you know, people with shaved heads that go on the street and then homophobic men come and beat them up and there's a fight and you know. And she was like, Well, we weren't like that. So so she kind of comes from this society that has a different view of the possibilities, and then she comes to London in the nineties, where people are completely out, and gender is much more fluid, and there's, and I think it's it confronts and frightens her to think that this might actually be a community that she might belong to, rather than just a private love she has with a woman who happens to be a woman. Mm-hmm. So yeah, ah. it's definitely an evolving situation, and she's also so full of ptsd about the war and about danger being everywhere that she she's sort of hardwired to think that it would be really dangerous to be out because where she came from it was
0: so iggy is part of igor at the yes. time was yes he, he was part of this paramilitary group run mm-hmm. by a guy named Bogden. yes and um the guy invites him and in, uh, iggy and his two bandmates milan and Stefan to a special party How does Igor know that, how does Iggy know that something is wrong? To their special party? Well, at this this
3: stage, when they've been up in the hills shooting into the town, they've sometimes gone to Bogdan and Tatiana's house, and he slowly starts to get suspicious that they're not just fighting soldiers, but that Bogdan and Stefan are sort of in cahoots with raping women and, and abusing children and you know, doing a lot of the things that um we now know were really prevalent in that war as as acts of war against women. Mm-hmm. And and so Iggy starts to suspect that there's a sort of more sadistic and chaotic element to what he's involved in. And then this particular party, they're in the city and they've been sent there on a mission and they're in this house. And there's this sort of sense of excitement and danger and evil, I guess, bubbling. And he feels like Bogdan's setting him up for a, a loyalty test. Yeah. And then they go to this hotel for this
0: party. Oh, we don't want to tell all the details. Why and it's to- really horrible. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to summarize it. Iggy understands that his job is to terrorize citizens. He so finally that- gets that. He finally, yeah. he finally
3: I- lets that in. That's right.
2: mealscom slash NBN50 to get 50% off.
0: But why didn't he have any
3: other options? Well, it's hard to say that someone doesn't have any other options, but I think, in a way, part of the answer is circumstance and part of it is character for Iggy. You know, I think it really, one of the things about these three in the book is that they're three quite different young men who just are sort of village guys that are in a band together. But then the war sweeps along and they get swept up on it when when the paramilitaries are kind of scouring the villages for new people to join, you know. Yeah. And so he doesn't have any interest in being a soldier. It's just this is what's happening. And then something terrible happens in his village and he decides he can't stay and he leaves. And they start hitchhiking and they get picked up by someone who's like, oh, you're fighters, we're going to take you to the city, where are you going? Um, And in a way he gets involved because of a power struggle between himself and Stefan. Stefan is really made for war. He's the kind of guy who's floating around and when you give him a gun he suddenly found his role in life. And Iggy is not, but Iggy doesn't want Stefan to be the leader so he's always trying to keep up or one-up him. And um, they kind of get the, they get picked up in a truck and taken to this training camp for the paramilitary. So the whole thing just sort of swirls them along, really. Yeah. So and it we're... is difficult to think of how he could have done
0: something else. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're back in England, and just afraid of Iggy. She attributes all kinds of skills to him, like yes. she sees that he puts people off balance and then he takes charge. Is right. she right, or is it part of her paranoia? I would say both. I mean, I think, you know, when I
3: think of characters, they come to me and I really vividly see them in my mind. And and they just sort of take on a life of their own. And I always saw Evie as one of those sort of preternaturally graceful people who doesn't waste a movement and who moves like a dancer, you know, mm-hmm. and... That just came to me as his physicality and he doesn't let on much if he doesn't want to. And not many people have that much control over their physical being, you know. So I I think that is something about him. But I also think that Nadia is really very on edge and would interpret those qualities as dangerous And as soldierly, you know, like very, very useful for a sniper. Mm -hmm. But Iggy's also a village boy, so he grew up hunting in the woods, and he's very good at keeping quiet and shooting a deer and that sort of stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. This is my hardest question. Do you think Nadia will ever be happy in her life? Hmm. Do you want her to? I think that she, by the end of the book, is finding a
3: way forward, you know? You know, to me, there's a a sort of subline about art in the book, really, you know, that that Nadia rescues Sonia's camera and then the kind of whole story about how she herself becomes involved with that camera and the photos that come from it and then her own relationship to making things. By the end of the book, it's just starting to shift and in that I really see hope because I do think that being able to shape your own story and means of expression is is kind of it's a way into living in the world, you know. So I I don't see her as an endless victim at all. I see her as someone who's pretty creative and pretty brave and a little nutty sometimes. Um, but by the end, I think that she's she's
0: grieving her losses and she's moving into something new. Yeah, and um, you did a. Oh. A wonderful job of sharing the actual horrors and ongoing trauma of war. So that was something really, really meaningful about reading the book. What are you, what are you working on next, Christine? Oh, something completely different. <laughs> so you know, as a
3: playwright as well as novelist, I've been writing about war and its aftermath and immigration and those sort of topics for a really long time. Um, and I'm now working on a new novel called River and Maud, which is it's a kind of speculative fiction novel uh, set in a flooded world with two, you know, the the image came to me of these two characters crouched under a broken bridge together, a middle-aged woman and a, a young girl who aren't related. So it's about them and their lives and there's, um, there's melded life forms and AI drones and Um, It's kind of set in a world where living things and artificial things are in a new kind of relationship to each other. Sort of apocalyptic, maybe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Kind of like also about joy and hope and
0: about how do you make something new in a changed world? And that's the question we all have to face isn't it yes. so thank you so much it's been a pleasure talking to you christine and I thank you great success with your new with your book nadia thank you very much and thank you so much for having me Kelly. and thank you for joining again this is gp gottlieb author of the whipped and sipped mystery series and host for new books and literature a podcast channel on the new books network Today, I've been talking with author Christine Evans about her debut novel, Nadia. Hope you all have something lovely to cuddle up with a book I made. Happy reading.